0: If you want to take your Bible tonight, we'll be uh, be in several different passages, but the first place that we'll be is Psalm 13. Psalm 13. We'll reference Psalm 13 in just a bit, Uh, but as you're getting to Psalm 13, uh, let me kind of set the stage uh, for you, if if I can. I want to make a couple of statements uh, that you probably will agree with, um, assuming that you'll agree with, they're pretty broad, general statements. But the first is this uh, that we live in a society that is incredibly image driven. Image-driven. Everywhere you go, like there's uh, billboards with pictures on it. Uh, You look online on social media. You constantly see pictures that are attempting to describe something. And oftentimes what you end up seeing is a lack of words. So you've got pictures that are representing content and concepts instead of actually words themselves. And I think that's because we are an image-driven society, people that are a lot different than some of our uh, family you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago that were people that loved and valued words. Now, the problem with being an image-driven society is that when it comes to the Bible, to be able to gain knowledge and understanding from the Bible, to be able to grab everything that we can from God's Word, it requires what? Being able to read the Bible. So in some ways, it seems to kind of run against uh, what culture is pushing against us, but I think the problem with being this image-driven society kind of comes in three different ways. The first is this, is that we've really lost the art of what it means to read. We've lost the art of what it means to read. There are times, I'm sure that you can probably relate to, to what I'm about to say, there are times that I sit down to read because my mind has been so programmed to look at image after image that when it actually I have a moment to sit down and read something, it takes me two or three times to be able to fully comprehend what I'm, what I'm reading because it's so different than what I'm used to. So we've lost the, the art and the value of reading. Uh, the second reason that I think that this kind of poses a problem for us is that it creates this uh, lack of understanding of what to look for when we actually do sit down to read. Because we are so image-driven, I think it tends to make us lazy readers. So when we actually do sit down to read something, whether we're uh, reading something from God's word, reading something supplemental to God's word, or maybe reading something leisurely, uh, we find ourselves being lazy readers. We're just reading on the surface without really reading with the intent to go deep into it. So we uh, have lost the art of it. We aren't really sure exactly what to look for. But here's the problem spiritually with us being an image-driven society. It's actually that we become cold to what we actually do read. So because our minds are so programmed with pictures and images, when it comes to sitting down to read God's word, when it comes to sitting down to open up this very word, the way that God communicates to his people, we find ourselves not moved and not stirred the way that some of the Puritans before us have been moved and stirred. We find ourselves oftentimes cold and indifferent and careless to what God has actually declared and spoken to his people. And so tonight we want to look at some strategies and some ways to kind of fight against that to help us to become a people that not only observe and see the Bible as we talked about last week with Pastor Kyler, but people that that really understand and read the Bible intently. And so our time tonight, we focused on 10 different strategies, 10 different ways uh, that we can read effectively as Christians. This is actually, uh, this outline you can find in Howard Hendricks' book. Uh, It's a great, great outline of things that we can do to really study and read the Bible effectively. But here's the first thing that we can do when it comes to us reading the Bible effectively. First of all, we have to be willing to read thoughtfully, to read thoughtfully. Now, when I mention the word thoughtfully, I want you to think in your mind, like, what does the word thoughtful actually mean? Uh, To be thoughtful means to be attentive. To be thoughtful means to be undistracted. To be thoughtful means to be focused. A way that John Piper would actually describe thoughtful reading is that he would describe thoughtful reading as aggressive attentiveness. It's almost like this idea that you understand the value and the depth of what you're reading, and so therefore it gains your focus, it gains your attention, and you find yourself undistracted from it. The problem, I think, with us uh, when it comes to reading the Bible thoughtfully is that we do find ourselves to be distracted people. I don't know if this is your story, but this is often my story. I wake up early in the morning to get into the Word of God before uh, anything else starts in the day because I realize with a family of uh, six children and a wife to care for, if I'm not in the Bible before my family is awake, most likely I'm not going to be in the Bible at all for that day. So prioritizing and making Bible reading a priority is a necessity. But oftentimes when I see the alarm clock go off at 4.30 or whatever it might be, my first reaction oftentimes is to like take that phone and to go to some form of social media. And immediately I find myself to be distracted, focused on something else besides what I should actually be focused on. But when it comes to reading the Bible like it should be for us that we are reading with thoughtful intent, with attentiveness, with a focus that's hard to be broken because we realize that this is God speaking to his people. So how can we effectively read thoughtfully. I'll give you a couple of ways that you can read thoughtfully. The first is this, is that when you actually sit down to read the Bible, that you ask questions. You ask questions. So you're looking at maybe Philippians 1 or Philippians 2, or for our example tonight, we'll be in it in just a few moments, uh, Psalm uh, 13, that as you're reading the Bible, that you begin to ask questions. For those of you that have done inductive Bible study in your past, you know that this is something that helps you uh, retain what you read. It helps you dig into uh, the meat of what you're reading. But asking questions uh, keeps your mind and heart engaged and focused. It kind of reminds me of... uh, uh, watching TV shows that are kind of investigative uh, driven or shows that are like uh, journalist driven, where they're, they're doing their job and they're asking people specific questions to get to the bottom of a story. And then as they get to the bottom of that story, uh, they begin to reveal all the points of that story and point the verdict towards someone specific. So when it comes to reading the Bible thoughtfully, one of the first ways that we can make sure that we are reading with thoughtful intent is by looking at the Bible and asking questions Why in the world is this passage here? Why in the world uh, was this included in the canon of Scripture? Like, what do I see taking place in this passage? What are some, some people, some key names that are kind of standing out to me in this passage? So ask yourself uh, questions as you read. Be an investigator of the Bible. And as you begin to ask yourself these questions, the Bible will begin to make sense to you as you're looking at a specific passage. So we ask questions as we read to make it thoughtful for us. But secondly, uh, when it comes to being a thoughtful reader, we also have to to write as we read. We write as we read. Now, some of you, uh, when it comes to reading the Bible, uh, you probably sit down in the morning and you have your cup of coffee and you open up your Bible and you just have your Bible, your coffee, and that's it. But I I would say for you, if you find yourself to be someone that struggles with focusing, uh, with struggling to keep your mind attentive on what you're actually reading, uh, pull out a journal And as you're reading the Bible, write down those questions that you have. Write down those things that you would like to know more about. Journal those things down. Because what you end up doing is that you force your mind to think about things that you wouldn't ordinarily think about, but you also create this sense of legacy that at some point your children will be able to to look at and see, follow behind and see their their mom or their, their dad was someone that took the Bible seriously. So writing forces you to engage with the text a little bit more specifically and intently. So I would say, uh, you ask questions, you write, and then I would also say, when it comes to uh, reading thoughtfully, uh, that as you're reading your, your Bible, that you take notes in your Bible. Now, some of you, I think Pastor Kyler mentioned this last week. Uh, But some of us have this perspective that as we sit down to read the Bible, like we want the Bible uh, for us to be uh, something that's not marked up. But I would say uh, the markings in the Bible kind of reveal the spiritual depth of of a person. Uh, For me, like I I look at my mom's Bible. My mom passed in 2017. Um, One of the first things that I grabbed from my mother uh, was her Bible. And because mom was a lady that loved Jesus, uh, that loved the Lord. But what I see here is a Bible that has been marked up in so many different places. And what I think it reveals is a heart and a mind of someone that has been changed by the Bible. So as you're reading through the Bible, you're asking questions, you're, you're journaling, you're writing things down as you see them, questions that you might have but you're also making notes in your Bibles. You're circling things that you think are important. You're writing references down from one verse to another. You're drawing lines from one passage to another just to see where they kind of connect. So the first thing that I would say that helps us be people that are uh, reading the Bible effectively is that we read thoughtfully. We read thoughtfully. The second thing that I would say for us uh, to, to be people that are effectively reading the Bible is that we read repetitively. We read repetitively. Uh, when I was in college, there was a guy by the name of Dwayne Carson. Uh, Dwayne Carson for, uh, for Liberty University was this guy that uh, he was over all of the spiritual life components of, of liberty. So he dealt a lot with RAs and spiritual life directors and people that were in charge of small groups. Dwayne was an incredibly godly guy. He had a lot of like what we would call like Dwayne Carsonisms, these statements that he would say that would, would just like stick with you. He's one of these guys that you didn't really know the value of the guy until after you moved on, you left Liberty, and now that guy's, you understand what he was saying, the depth of what he had to say. One of the things that Dwayne would always say, and that we didn't realize how important it was until now, uh, was that repetition brings retention. Repetition brings retention. And it's really simple, and this is the idea. The more that you find yourself reading something, repeating something, the more that you find yourself retaining what you read. So repetition brings retention. So we're talking about reading the Bible repetitively. It's the idea that you are consistently reading the Bible over and over and over again. And I would say even more specifically, uh, you can even find yourself devoting an entire month uh, to one specific book of the Bible. We've all got these goals to read through the Bible in a year. And oftentimes, that's an incredible goal to have, but you end up finding yourself taking a surface level over the entire course of the Bible, which is great in some cases, but in some cases, it means that we lose the depth of what we're actually reading. So if you're that person that finds yourself reading the whole Bible in a year, but not seeing a lot of spiritual growth happen because of that, then maybe slow things down just a bit. Take a book of the Bible and read that book, say maybe Philippians. You've got four chapters there. Take those four chapters in every day for that entire month, maybe the month of September. Find yourself reading that book over and over and over again. You'll be surprised and amazed how much you can retain by simply repeating it. So a couple of steps when it comes to reading the Bible repetitively. The first thing I would say is this. uh, Read the entire book at a time. Read entire books at a time. We're thinking about inductive study and understanding the Bible as a whole, one of the big things that we have to understand is that the Bible, uh, the books of the Bible were written as one unit. So the book of Philippians was written as a unit. The book of Galatians was written as a unit. All of these individual books were written as individual units. So when it comes to understanding and getting the whole counsel of what you see from a specific book, sit down and read the entirety of that book. Now, for some of you, that may be something that's really, really intimidating. And for me, before I actually began to practice that, I, I thought, like, how in the world is this even possible? I would think about books like Genesis and Exodus, and it's like, how in the world can you sit down and read an entire book with, like, 40 different chapters in one sitting? Now, Genesis, it would take you, like, three hours to read through it. That's, that's a big undertaking. Maybe at some point, if you have a time to do that, jump into it. But you look at over half of the books in the New Testament— You could sit down and actually read in less than 25 minutes in one sitting. So in the amount of time that it would take to like watch one TV show or half of a TV show, if you guys watch those longer hour programs, you could have read through the book of Philippians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. You can sit down and read a lot of the New Testament in less than 20 minutes. So sit down and attempt to read the whole book as a whole. I would also say if you're uh, spending time reading the Bible, don't just read the book uh, as a whole, but start from the beginning. Start from the beginning. Uh, It's one thing if you uh, begin to understand a whole book from its very beginning, as opposed to sitting down and looking at chapter 3 and expecting to understand the whole council without reading the first couple of chapters. It's like you sitting down and attempting to read a novel, but not reading the first section of that novel. Are you attempting to watch any of the, uh, the Marvel series without watching the first couple of movies in the Marvel series? The idea is that you sit down and read it from beginning to end to gain a better picture of what the Bible is actually saying. So read the entire book. Start from the beginning. Uh, some people would even say to do this, uh, to read different translations. To read different translations. Uh, if you're like me, you find yourself to be a creature of habit of habit, which means that I could eat at the same restaurant for lunch every single day and be unfazed by it. The people here at the church know that one of my favorite places for lunch is Jason's Deli. If we ever go to lunch, uh, chances are we're probably going to go to Jason's Deli together. It's an easy place that you can eat relatively healthy, and it's like close to the church. But they've got good food. I like it. It's a routine that I have. And so I would say, if you're a creature of routine like I am sometimes, then it might be that you get into your Bible version, maybe it's the ESV, maybe it's the CSB, Um, but oftentimes reading those same versions over and over and over again um, at times become, honestly, make it a little bit numb to reading the passage. So you end up reading the same thing over and over and over again and where there's significant wealth and significant depth in a passage because you've heard it over and over and over again, it's lost some of its meaning. So if you find yourself uh, in a position like that where you're kind of numb to the same version over and over again, then maybe uh, look at maybe the CSB to mix things up a bit. Well, you know what? What you'll end up seeing is that while this is a very accurate version, one that we would trust, it maybe changes things slightly and provides a different emphasis to you that you hadn't seen before. So read entire books, start from the beginning, read different translations. Uh, There's another thing that I would say as well. You could actually listen to the Bible. Now, by a show of hands, when it comes to your everyday like Bible reading schedule, how many of you guys have actually listened to the Bible as opposed to reading the Bible? That's a good number of people. Well, we have an app called the Dwell app that Hickory Grove kind of uh, is connected with, uh, and so we provide that for our church members. It's something that I really enjoy doing. It's a great supplement to actually reading the Bible, but simply by listening to the Bible, there are things that you can hear and things that you can retain that if you're reading, you might not be able to to see. So if you find yourself in this rut spiritually and it seems like reading is really, really numb and really, really dull for you, then maybe mix it up just a bit and listen to the Bible. Listen to the book of Philippians. Listen to the book of Ephesians as opposed to sitting down to actually read it. You'll see that maybe the person that's reading the Bible will make it come to life to you. Maybe they'll provide emphasis in specific areas that you would ordinarily miss. Um, But listening to the Bible can, in some ways, uh, freshen things up for us. A uh, a fifth thing that I would say, outside of just listening to the Bible, uh, might be a little bit awkward for you, but here's what I would say. Read the Bible out loud. Read the Bible out loud. I'm not talking about like in a public setting. I'm not talking about you standing up here to read the Bible out loud. I'm not talking about you teaching or preaching, but I'm talking about you in your own personal quiet time. Like, open up the Bible and read it out loud to yourself. Now, Show of fans, how many of you guys, like, that kind of makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable? There's a couple of people, right? Uh, But the reality is, is that as you read things out loud, what ends up happening is that you force yourself to slow down. Oftentimes, one of the troubles for me is I'm reading through Scripture, uh, reading through my mind, not verbally articulating and speaking it, is that I find myself just reading so quickly, skimming over it, but missing the depth of what the Bible actually has to say. But when you begin to, to force yourself to read out loud, to articulate the words, to make sure that you're paying attention to the emphasis that you see, it allows you to engage the text in a way that maybe you've not engaged it before. It forces you to think about what you're saying. It forces you to, in a lot of ways, think about the arguments that are being made by the writers of the Bible. So rather than just reading it out loud and seeing words on a page like a novel would be, you're, you're beginning to think about, okay, what was the author's intent when he actually said this? So I would say reading the Bible out loud uh, forces us to make sense of what we read. And then the last thing that I would say when it comes to reading repetitively is this, is make sure that you schedule time for reading. Schedule time for reading. We live busy lives. Like the reality is is that all of us have things going on. Many of us had to sacrifice something to be here tonight. So busyness is a reality for all of us. Um, So if there's something that we want to get done, Each of us could probably affirm this. If we want it to get accomplished, it needs to be on our calendar. If it's not on the calendar, it's not going to be done. Your mind's going to be in a thousand other places. You're not going to be thinking about it. It has to be written down. But when it comes to the Bible, why is it that we're so quick to put everything else on the calendar but not not put our time with the Lord on the calendar? So I would say, like, schedule time for your reading. You might want to accomplish reading the entire Bible in a year. Maybe you want to be like an overachiever and do like twice through the Bible in a year. Um, I'm sure some of you guys have done that before. But apart from you being able to schedule that into your time, schedule that into your calendar, and schedule that into your day like that, that's not going to happen. Big goals are accomplished in small bites. And when it comes to Bible reading, it has to be planned out. And something that I, I would even practically say is that you need to know where the next seven days of your Bible reading are going to go, like at any, at any given day. So today, you need to know where next Wednesday you're going to be actually reading the Bible. Because if you wake up one, uh, one day over the, next, over the next week with no idea where you're actually going to be in the Bible, uh, the chances are is that you're not actually going to be in the Bible itself. You're going to find something else to do. So schedule out what you want to read and make sure that you stick to that schedule. So, schedule time for Bible reading. If it's not scheduled, it won't get done. So, we said, firstly, that it's important for us to read thoughtfully. It's important for us to read repetitively. Uh, thirdly, when it comes to effectively reading the Bible, we need to make sure that we read patiently. We read patiently. Now, when I mention the word patiently, I know that it's not a word that a lot of us like to talk about, right? Right? A lot of us like to have things really, really quickly and immediately. Uh, Holly and I, we were buying something for the house the other day, and we were using Amazon, which is something we do often, Uh, and one of the first things that I I looked at or filtered out when I was looking at Amazon was that I went over to the left side and I clicked this button that said Prime, and underneath Prime, I went to this other button that said Same Day Delivery. Have you guys ever done that before? Never. Never. Uh, that's something that we always find ourselves doing, and it's because uh, when we want something, we want it immediately. Like we don't want to be a people that are waiting on things to happen. We like to have things at our at our fingertips. We are not we are not a patient people. And the the negative side of that, the downside of that, is that it oftentimes carries over into our our Bible reading. And a result of impatience in Bible reading is actually pretty detrimental in a lot of ways. Uh, I'll give you a a couple of ways of of how impatience in Bible reading kind of affects us. The first is this, is that when we're impatient with Bible reading, when we're so quick to sit down and rush through a text, what ends up happening is that we end up finding a group of men and women that are content with five-minute devotional books. When we want something immediately, we want to have some sort of like gratification right now, We don't want to spend 30 minutes laboring over text in our own time. So therefore, we find ourselves content and satisfied with reading for five minutes and being okay with that. And not just reading the Bible for five minutes, but looking at a devotional guide for five minutes and finding ourselves content with that. The second thing that I think uh, ends up happening with uh, impatience in Bible reading is that you end up with a group of men and women that have really weak theology. And when you have a group of men and women that have weak theology and an understanding of God that's really weak and limited is that when hard times come, you have nothing to hold on to. Hard times in life, difficult moments in life are inevitable. We will face them if we are living and breathing today. The reality is, is that we will all walk through something difficult. If not today, then most likely sometime later this week. And in those moments that life is really, really difficult, we need anchors of hope to hold on to. And that doesn't happen by skimming the Bible quickly. So we find ourselves content with five-minute devotionals. We find ourselves with weak theology. And then we end up finding a group of men and women that have so many things left on the table that are at our disposal that we're not aware of. And we're content with that because of our weak and shallow reading. So what that then forces us to understand is that there is a great need for each of us that as we spend time in the Bible, that we are patient and we are slowing down as we read. So I, I would say two things in particular about being patient with uh, Bible reading. The first thing is this. Uh, be patient with yourself. Be patient with yourself. As you sit down to read, and if you're devoting yourself, uh, say tonight, you're saying, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deepen my level of devotion with Christ. I'm going to spend time in the Word consistently. I'm not going to be a weak person a theologically-minded person. I want to be someone that's strong in the faith. I want to devote my life to to really reading and understanding the Bible from this day forward. Maybe that's you tonight, and that's awesome if it is. Um, But I would say this, like be patient with yourself in that process. Be patient with yourself in that process. Habits take time uh, to develop. I mean, some people would say that it takes four to six weeks, a month to six weeks, uh, before things become like habitual in your life, before things become like rhythmic in your life. And four to six weeks sometimes to develop habits can seem like a lifetime and an eternity. Because when it comes to developing habits, those things don't come easily. You have to find yourself waking up early, find yourself struggling to go into your office or go into your living room or to find that chair that you uh, know is best for you, uh, spending time with, with the Bible. You find yourself slugging along, just making it a habit. But I, but I promise you, as you find yourself Uh, pushing forth with the desire to do that, that you find grace as you sit down to open up the Bible, understanding and seeing that this is God's word that is alive, that is active, that's sharper than any two-edged sword, that's speaking directly to you. So be patient with yourself as you look at the Bible. But secondly, I would also say this, not only be patient with yourself, but be patient with the word. Be patient with the word. If you find yourself devoted to say, I'm gonna spend time in the Bible consistently, then know there are going to be difficult times when you get to, if you're reading through the Bible. You know, you could spend time in Genesis and find a lot of great meat in Genesis. Genesis is probably one of my favorite books of the Bible. Lots of great uh, meat there. You get into Exodus. Exodus is an incredible story to follow behind. You get into uh, the rest of those history books of the Old Testament. There's are great things to be able to see, conquests that have happened, uh, people that have been overtaken, victories that are being had. It's exciting. But then you get to books like Leviticus, Which, like, when it comes to reading the Bible at times can seem a little bit more drudgery. Like, what's actually happening here in this passage? When it comes to numbers and you're reading census after census and family after family, what's the connection here that we see? So as you spend time, like, reading the Bible and and devoting yourself to it, be patient with yourself, but... Be patient with the word of God, knowing that what you're reading, even though you might not be able to fully understand uh, it entirely at that moment, it's been inspired by God who speaks to his people. It's there on purpose. It serves a purpose, and it points us to Christ in some way. So be patient with yourself and be patient with the Bible. Read the Bible repetitively. Uh, The fourth thing I would say is this. To read the Bible selectively. Selectively. Now, when I say the, to read the Bible selectively, here's what I mean. Read the Bible and know what you're looking for. <laughs> know what you're looking for. I've got a story to kind of explain this. Uh, one of the things that uh, we do in the Maxwell House, um, one of the ways I like to serve my wife, I, I fail in so many ways, just to be honest, I fail in so many ways. But one area that I like to serve my wife consistently is in the morning, I get up before everybody else, but I take my wife coffee in bed like every morning. It's what I do. It's my thing. Um, oftentimes when I'm walking into the bedroom, she's still asleep, the lights are off. And so I find myself needing to rely on my knowledge of the bedroom. Okay, So lights are off. I'm walking around really, really slowly, attempting to not not stub my toe on the edge of the bed, uh, trying to remember if there was something that was left on the floor, attempting not to fall. I, I know what I'm looking for. And so when I'm talking about reading the Bible selectively, it's reading with specific things in mind, things that you are looking for in particular. And here are some things that we can look for as we're reading the Bible. And I want to use Psalm 13 as ...an example as we look at this text together. So if you've got your Bible, uh, look at Psalm 13. I'm going to read this, and then I want to walk through a list of things that I want us to be looking for. Psalm 13 says this. This is a psalm of David. It's what we would call a psalm of of lament, which means that uh, he is in a place where he's experienced hard times... ...difficult providences in his life... Um, But here he finds himself being honest with God in his moment of difficulty and hardship. But at the end of the psalm, he's praising God for who he is. A psalm of lament takes us from a place of uh, despair to a place of praise, all in the same psalm. It's a journey. And so as you look at Psalm 13, that's what you see. This is what we see uh, in verse 1. David says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Psalm 13, one of my favorite Psalms. So, as we read selectively this passage, a few things that I want you to be looking at and looking for in particular. First of all, who do you see listed in this passage? Think to yourself, maybe write it down. As you look at Psalm 13, uh, who is someone that you see listed in this passage? You're looking for key names that might stand out. You're looking for uh, key nouns, proper nouns that you might see. Well, first of all, you see here this psalm is written by David, but you see here that this psalm is, is, is a prayer to to God himself. So those are two names that you see listed in Psalm 13. Another thing that you can be looking for besides just the who is, is what? Like what is happening in this passage? So for attempting to read this selectively looking at Psalm 13, you could see, well, something's happened in David's life. That makes him feel as if God is distant from him. In fact, he says in verse 1 and verse 2, how long are you going to forget me forever? So he feels as if God has forgotten him. He feels as if God has hidden his face from him. He's feeling anxious. He says, how long must I take counsel in my soul? That's the idea of him kind of wrestling through things at night in his bed. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? He's feeling the sense of desperation. He's feeling the sense of almost immediate defeat. So something's happened in David's life that makes him raise these questions to God. So what is happening in this passage? Where? Like, where is this taking place? So we ask who, we ask what, we ask where. Like, is there a location? Is there something specific that's taking place location-wise in this passage? Is there like a city that's listed? Is there a place that's listed? Is there a location that we see? Well, specifically, we don't see any type of location to uh, like where David might be living at the time. Um, but we do feel, uh, based off of what David says in Psalm 13, that maybe there's this, this place of despair and brokenness that, that he's kind of dwelling in. Maybe he feels a sense of desperation and lowness. So while there's not necessarily a city that we can point to, his state of mind is feeling desperation. So we see who? We see what? We see where. Uh, what about when? Is there a time that's listed in Psalm 13? Forever. forever. He feels as if God has forgotten him forever, as if his time is kind of stretched out. You know what that's like? Oftentimes when you're walking through moments of despair, it might have only, might it's, maybe it's only been like a week or two weeks that you've been walking through that, but it seems like it's been an eternity. This is what's happening with David. That length of time has kind of been stretched out for him. So we look, we see a who, we see a what, we see a where, we see a when. Why was this passage written? Why is this included in the counsel of Scripture? And this involves us being able to to zone out a little bit, thinking a little bit more broadly, not just in the lens of Psalm 13, but Psalm 13 might have been included to show us that the Psalms are not just Psalms of praise where things are going right. Psalm 13 might be included in the counsel of Scripture to show us what it looks like to actually be honest in our prayers with the Lord. But even more than that, I think Psalm 13 is listed to to point us to the fact that Christ had uh, uh, honestly been betrayed and forgotten so that we might have hope in this life. He was despised. He was rejected. So therefore, we don't have to be despised and rejected, right? So we ask, like, why is this passage here? And then we ask the so what question. So we see who, what, where, when, why, and then so what. What does this passage mean? And in the big council of scripture, the whole uh, course of scripture, we would say that Psalm 13 is here to remind us that even though uh, difficult moments might come in life, we can ultimately have hope in Christ because of what he's done for us through his finished work uh, on the cross for you and for me. So who, what, when, where, why, and then the so, what, what. So when it comes to reading your Bible selectively, that's what we mean. It's the idea that you are specifically looking for something as you come to any text that you're reading, reading the Bible selectively. The fifth thing that I would say, and we kind of need to hustle through some of these, the fifth thing is this, to read the Bible prayerfully, to read the Bible uh, prayerfully. Now, if you've ever heard of the, uh, the writer Donald Whitney, uh, he came to do a marriage conference for us probably three or four years ago. He wrote a book uh, years ago, and it's called Praying the Bible and praying the Bible uh, for me has become one of the most effective spiritual disciplines in my life. And it's a simple concept: it's you being able to look at the Bible as you're spending time reading it daily, and you allow the Bible uh, to guide you during like during your time of personal prayer. And it's pretty simple to kind of put to uh, into practice. I want to look at Psalm 13 to be able to do this, but I want to I want to tell us why like praying the Bible is essential. Here's the first reason. When it comes to reading the Bible prayerfully, the Bible will deepen your prayer life. As you open up the Bible, as you spend time looking at the Psalms you're looking at the New Testament, you're looking at God's Word and allowing that to, to lead your prayer life, you'll find that it's going to deepen your prayer life. You're going to see that, that what's mentioned in Scripture, the way that it's leading you to pray, is so, so much more broad and so much more rich than you've able, have ever been able to experience before. Like it brings things into perspective and brings things into light for you to pray about that you probably wouldn't have thought about before. So it deepens our prayer life, it broadens our prayer life, and it strengthens our prayer life. So if we apply this concept of praying the Bible to Psalm 13, what would that look like for us? Let me just read the first couple of verses of Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Praying the Bible would look like this. Lord, even though I feel alone, thank you that you are always with me. Father, thank you that because of Jesus, you will never shield your face from me. Father, thank you that you have defeated the greatest enemy of all, which is death. Father, I ask that you would guard me from uh, taking counsel in my own soul and being anxious and being worried and Fearful. Lord, help me to trust your word for wisdom and guidance. If you look a little bit further in Psalm 13, you see verses five and six. David says this, but I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Praying the Bible in verses five and six could look like this. God, thank you for the victory that you give me through Christ, who is our salvation. Thank you that even before the trial is over, that you are present with me. It's reading the Bible, you meditating on the Bible, and you turning the words of God into a prayer. It's really, really simple. It doesn't mean that you're taking the Bible out of context. It means that you are allowing God's word to stir your heart to pray for things that maybe you wouldn't have ordinarily be uh, be thinking about to pray for before. And you could even apply this to praying for other people as well if you've got a list of people that uh, that you are praying for consistently maybe it's your your family that you're praying for maybe your kids maybe your your kids spouses maybe it's your grandchildren maybe the list kind of consistently kind of broadens out like that and you find yourself praying the same thing over and over and over again for those listed people that you love and you care for, maybe apply scripture to that. Maybe it's you being able to look at that prayer list and beginning to pray Psalm 13 or another passage for those specific people. So it kind of freshens the way that you spend time in prayer. So you read the Bible selectively, but then you read the Bible prayerfully. The sixth way that that we can ensure effectiveness in Bible reading is this. It's by reading the Bible imaginatively. Now, here's what I mean with that. By, by saying that. It's reading the Bible with imagination. Reading the Bible with imagination. Now, I could get up here and I could read, read Psalm 13 like this. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? We could read it like that, and you may be able to gain something from that. But when you're reading the Bible with imagination, here's what it means. You're reading the Bible with passion. You're reading the Bible with a sense of eagerness to to recognize that this is God speaking to his people. So, if you're reading the Bible with passion and imagination, here's what we see How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? This is reading it with the intent in which it was written. This is David writing this and and reading it as if David was writing it to you. It's this understanding that you're reading it with passion. You're reading it with a sense of understanding more of the context of it being in its place. So it's not just you reading it as words on a page, uh, but you are reading it with the excitement of the text. But not only do you read the Bible with passion to read it with imagination, you can also do this. Uh, You can attempt to, in your own ways, paraphrase the text. So you read Psalm 13, you read through the text, these six verses, you see what David is attempting to say. Now you take that passage, those six verses, and you attempt to put that into your own words. In your own words, what is it that David is actually saying? Lord, I feel forgotten. I ask that you listen to me. I ask that you encourage me. I ask that you strengthen me. I ask that you revive me, but I'm trusting in you because you've, you've been kind to me before. Therefore, I'm confident you'll be kind to me going forward. It's you looking at this passage and attempting to to say it back in your own words. Another way that you can read this with imagination is this. It's not only reading it with passion or reading uh, or paraphrasing it, but attempting to find like the big idea. Attempting to find the big idea. It's taking these six verses, taking this passage that you're reading and attempting to just to, to, to pack it all together, to sync it up together and put it in one statement that you understand and that you can apply. So you read the Bible with passion, you read, paraphrase the text, and you attempt to find the big idea. You read the Bible imaginatively. Number seven: we can read the Bible meditatively. Now this is different than reading the Bible uh, prayerfully. This is reading the Bible meditatively. Uh, Reading the Bible with meditation. Meditation is the idea uh, that you are constantly thinking on something. Uh, You've heard of the illustration before of cows, the way that they chew their food. They chew their food. They chew it constantly. They swallow it. they, They digest it. They bring it back up. They chew it again. This idea of chewing the cud. Like, that's what meditation is. It's you constantly thinking on something. It's you reading something and letting it mull over in your mind consistently. Now, when it comes to reading the Bible meditatively, what are some passages that we could look at, maybe some passages that you can write down uh, that you can look at and study going forward uh, that would help us get a better understanding of what it means to read the Bible with meditation? Joshua 1.8 is a place that I think that you can begin. Joshua 1.8, and Joshua 1, this is what we see. God says this, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night So that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. So meditating on the Bible is the idea that you are meditating and thinking on it day in and day out. Psalm 1 verses 1 and 2, this is what the author says, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scoffers, but... His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates, here's that phrase again, day and night. Again, you see meditation connected to as you awake and as you go to bed. It's constantly mulling over in your mind a passage of scripture. Psalm 119 verse 97 says this, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. It is my meditation all the day. Now, if we did a survey of this room tonight and we asked uh, just an honest question, how many of us could honestly and genuinely say that we are thinking on the Bible all day, every day? Those are just three verses that we've looked at or three passages that show us the importance of meditating day and night and loving it as we see in Psalm 119. But if we're asking ourselves the honest question, how many of us could say that we absolutely love meditating on the Bible? Quickly quick way that you can find the answer to that question is by looking at your phone, and then seeing the screen time that you have on your phone each day. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we look at the amount of screen time that we spend uh, each day on our phones. Uh, I think for students, it's somewhere between like six and eight hours a day that students are on like a device. I know that seems like a lot. and We would say, yes, yeah, students this following generation is, is doing that. But for a lot of us uh, that are you know, aren't too far removed from that generation, we find ourselves living with that same type of struggle, where we're constantly looking at our phones, we're absorbed with technology. So that's a simple answer to the question of whether or not we love meditating on God's word or whether we don't. So I would say that we meditate on the Bible. We meditate on it day and night. It's something that we should love and desire. Even further in Psalm 19, we see this, verses one through 14. Let me read this to you. I I want you to see the value of meditating on the Bible. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. And keeping them, there's great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. Listen to the last phrase. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock. And my Redeemer. David is laying out clearly the beauty, the magnitude, and the value of God's Word, and he calls us to be a people that are consistently meditating on God's Word day and night. So how do we meditate on the Bible? It begins by opening up the Bible to read the Bible. But when it comes to practically putting it into application, you could throw verses onto your phone, you can take post-it notes, put them on your mirror, you can put post-it notes on the dash of your car, you can put things on your laptop, writing notes, index cards beside your desk, things to constantly keep your mind engaged with God's word, to meditate on it, meditate on the Bible, read it with meditative purpose. Number eight, we read the Bible purposefully, read it selectively, we read it meditatively, we read it purposefully. to read it with intentionality, which means that you, when you're looking at the Bible, you're doing it with something in mind. Second Timothy chapter 3:16 makes it unbelievably clear that God's Word for us uh, is breathed out. This is all scriptures breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, For training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy chapter 3 makes it very clear that God's word has purpose in our lives. It's not just that we sit down, we open up the Bible, we read words on a page, but scripture is breathed out, it's ex nihilo, it's breathed out of the mouth of God, And it serves a purpose in our lives. And that purpose is to make us look like Christ, to to make us complete for every good work, which means that we're looking like Jesus in all the areas of our lives. Like that's what God's word does for us. So it has purpose in mind. So when we sit down to read the Bible, we read it understanding that it does have purpose. So here's what we need to do, understanding that it has purpose. We watch for specific words, and I think what, when it comes to reading the Bible, looking for specific things, we have to understand that there's nothing that's included in the Bible accidentally. Nothing just happens to be there. Now, I remember uh, I read a book probably 10 or 12 years ago. It might have been like the original copy of a book that a guy had written, Paul Tripp. It was called Dangerous Calling. I remember looking at the book, and I was reading through it. Great content. But I got to like one passage, or it might have been like one chapter, and there were several, like, grammatical errors that were on a page, several things that looked as if they shouldn't have been there. And I'm like, why in the world am I seeing this on this page? And it, it had to have been that it was, like, an original copy or something, and somehow I just ended up getting it. Something was there, like, not on purpose, But when we understand the the context of the Bible, every single word that we see, every single jot and tittle that Kyler mentioned last week is there on purpose and it serves a purpose to make us look like Christ. So when it comes to reading the Bible, we read it recognizing that every word has some sort of meaning in the Bible. Nothing's there by chance. So not only do we watch out for words, we watch out for grammatical clues. Watch out for grammatical clues. And a way that we could ask questions is like this. Do we see actions taking place like in the Bible? Do we see verbs present like in this passage that we're studying? What is it that's happening? Is somebody running somewhere? Is somebody defeating something? Is something taking place? Somebody offering something? What is it that's active in this passage, in this section? Not only are there action words, but are there subjects and objects? are there subjects and objects the subject is the one that does the acting and the object is the one that the action occurs to so philippians chapter 2 verse 3 can read like this let each of you regard one another as more important than himself the action verb the 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 word that you see here that's doing something is this phrase this phrase regard one another and you see that the subject is, let each of you. So, so each of you is the subject, and you've got uh, regard as the verb, and you've got the object as one another. So what is it that's taking place here? What's the subject? What's uh, the verb? What's the object? Look for Modifiers. Uh, things that actually change the meaning of a text. So looking at, uh, again, Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, uh, when God says, using the words of of Paul, he says that uh, I will supply all of your needs in Christ Jesus. The word all literally means all. It modifies the sentence. So are there modifiers that you see present uh, in the text? Look for prepositional phrases, things that would show you uh, the location of something. Is something happening above or below or around or through? And then lastly, you could look for connecting words. You could look for connecting words. And these are words like therefore, but, or because. And one of the most uh, famous connecting words that you see is in Ephesians chapter uh, 2. Let me read this to you if I can. This is what we see in verse 1. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom all we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So if we stop there in verses 1 through 3, you'd see something pretty discouraging and pretty depressing. That we are a bunch of sinners that have messed up, that have gone astray, that do what we want to do, that are deserving of death and separation from God. But then you look at the beginning of verse 4 and see this unbelievably strong connecting word that gives us hope for the following passage. Here's what we see. But God, so even though there's sin, even though there's separation, even though there's something wicked that happens, verse 4 happens, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So you see this incredible, incredibly small word, but, that brings so much life and so much power because it connects us to a greater truth. So look for those connecting words like therefore, but, or because. So we look out for specific words. We look for grammatical phrases. And then we can look for like literary clues as well. Now this is the idea of you reading a passage and attempting to understand the type of writing that the passage actually, actually is. Now, all of us have read different types of writings before. We've all read biographies. We've all read uh, history books before. We've all read scientific books before. We've looked at math books and we've read math books before. We've read different types of writing. Now, when we look at the course of Scripture, the whole council of Scripture, we see that there are literary types and genres in Scripture as well. So something that helps us gain a better picture of what we're actually reading is us attempting to understand what it is that we're actually reading. First of all, you'll see uh, in the Bible, there's biography that is written. You see this in Genesis, you see this in Judges, you see this in 1 and 2 Samuel and First and 2 Kings, where you see a listing of, of people where uh, there's attempt, they're attempting to, to kind of showcase the, the history of some individual person, a biography of an individual You see geography that's listed as well. So not only biography, but you see geography. You find this in Exodus where there's specific locations that are brought up and mentioned. Places that are mentioned in the passage, information that's listed about the land. You find not only biography and geography, you find history. find history mentioned in the Bible where you've got key events that are taking place. You look at the conquest that happens in Joshua, and you can look back and see that these are actual events that took place over the course of history. You see chronology that happens in Scripture, First and Second Samuel, First and 2 Kings, where there's, uh, there's a king that passes, a king that passes, a king that passes. There's chronology that takes place. And then as you get to the New Testament, you see something called ideology, which is where you get the Apostle Paul. He's attempting to teach concepts and principles and ideas. You see, a lot of Paul's writings kind of fall into this category, that this is what I would like for the church to look like. This is how I would like for the church to behave. This is how Christians should live and act towards one another. So there's biography, there's geography, there's history, chronology, and then ideology. So attempting to understand what you're reading gives you a better idea of what the passage actually says. So not only do you read uh, looking for those clues, but we also, number nine, we read to retain. We read to retain. I mentioned this a little bit earlier. Repetition brings retention. So when I'm talking about the idea of retaining, it's this concept of holding on to something. It's the idea of you making it your own. The idea of you being able to grab it and keeping it in your mind good example of this is what's happening next door and in the rest of the, this lower level here in the church. You've got a wana taking place where kids, I mean hundreds of kids are memorizing over this, this course of this semester, hundreds of verses committing to memory scripture that they will hold on to most likely for the rest of their lives. So we're reading to retain. We're not just reading to, to pass a test, but we're reading so that we might hold on to the truths of scripture that we see. So two specific points that I want to throw to you when it comes to reading with retention. The first is this, recite to remember. Recite to remember. And this is the idea that you are actively attempting to memorize scripture so that you can hold on to it. I know that we, we have kids next door uh, doing scripture memory. Kids blow my mind when it comes to what they can actually remember. Not only would they memorize scripture for a Awana, uh, you find that many of those same kids are memorizing verses for, uh, for a play that they'll do in December. They're memorizing lines that they'll do for a play in December. They're memorizing songs that they will sing in December. Not only are they doing those things, they're memorizing soundtracks to, to movies that they're watching in their free time. The mind of a child blows me away. But to be honest, you and I could do the very same thing if we attempted it. If we tried to memorize, you would find that you can retain just as much as these children can. So recite to remember to hold on to scripture. So here's practical advice when it comes to reciting to remember. Many of you guys, many of you ladies are involved in a D group. When it comes to being involved in a D group, take that seriously and attempt to memorize a passage of scripture together. Memorize a passage of scripture. It may take you a long time to do it, but attempt to memorize a passage so that you can hold on to it and retain it. The second thing is this. Not only do you recite to remember to remember, but study to share. Study to share. What you end up finding is that if you have ever taught before, if you've ever led a Bible study, if you've ever uh, preached before, if you've ever spoken to a group of people before about a specific passage of the Bible, you find that as you teach, you end up learning far more than anybody else is sitting in the class. Like that's just the reality of it. When you put yourself down, Looking at a text, attempting to study that as fully and thoroughly as you can, you end up walking away remembering so much more than the people actually sitting like underneath your teaching. So I would say this, not only do you recite to remember, but study to share. And it might be that at some point what you're studying and what you're reading, the Lord allows you an opportunity to be able to share that with someone, maybe in a larger setting, but it could be that it's just that someone that you interact with at work or someone that you interact with in your family needs to hear one-on-one what it is that you've been studying. You've all encountered that before where you've been reading something in your own personal Bible reading. And then that same day or that next day, while it's still fresh on your mind, you encounter someone walking through something difficult and you offer them the same passage it offered you hope for that day. So you recite to remember, but you also study to share. And then lastly, not only do we read to retain, we read telescopically. Big word, telescopically. It really means that we're reading, not just looking at the text that we're reading, but we're looking to understand what this text means in the bigger course of the section of scripture, what this text means in the bigger course of the chapter of scripture, in the book that's mentioned, and even more, what does this mean in the grand scheme of the Bible? So it's reading with the whole view in mind, not just looking at uh, one individual verse. And a way that you can kind of put this into practice is by looking at Psalm 13. If you look at Psalm 13 and you see the verse couple of verses that we read just a few moments ago how long O lord will you forget me forever and you just stop with verse one or verse two then you can say that okay well maybe this is where God wants us to be but if you begin to zone out to see what the rest of the passage says then you begin to see that well David doesn't just stop with the the first two verses where he's complaining about feeling distant from God he carries forward and actually begins to praise God because of who he is and his faithfulness So I would say like when you begin to read the Bible telescopically, it's you looking at this text and beginning to broaden your horizon to see what it actually means in the greater course of scripture. So we see 10 different ways that we can effectively read the Bible. So here's the big question, so what? Three really, really simple application points. First is this, start today, start today. I'm assuming that there are some in this room tonight that are devoted to a Bible reading plan. But if that's not you, there's never a better time to jump into Bible reading than today. There's always going to be excuses, always going to be other things that could come up. But start today. Not only start today, but start with something that's manageable. You might have a goal of wanting to read through the Bible over the course of the year. You might have the goal of wanting to memorize an entire book of the Bible But start with something manageable. Statistics would show that if you start with something manageable as opposed to starting with something massive, it's so much more likely that you'll actually follow through and finish it. So maybe start if you've not been a part of a Bible reading plan as opposed to starting with five chapters tomorrow. Maybe just start with one chapter or maybe just like half a chapter. Start with something manageable and then gradually work your way into it. And then lastly, not only start today and start with something manageable, but stick it out. We talked a little bit ago about developing a discipline. So stick it out as that discipline becomes a little bit more rhythmic and regular for you. It's going to be difficult. Things will vie for your attention. Distractions will come. But prioritize it, schedule it, and stick it out. Guys, thank you for being attentive tonight. I know that we flew through a ton of stuff. But I know that these next couple of weeks, looking at what it means to understand the Bible... Hopefully, they will prove to be really beneficial for you in your own walk, maybe bringing a sense of refreshness or refreshing to your own Bible reading time and personal walk with the Lord. Let me pray for us, and then we'll wrap up our time together tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank you for tonight. It's been a joy to be able to look at your word. It's been a joy to be able to talk about ways that we can better study your word. And so, Lord, I pray that tonight for those who are uh, wanting to find themselves Uh, people that are not just looking at words on a page, but people that are changed by the Bible, I pray uh, that you would give them a great sense of devotion and commitment to do that even tonight. Make that something that happens for them tonight, Lord, and allow them to stick to it. Thank you for your goodness, and thank you for this time. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Guys, thanks for being here tonight.